The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thursday night again, new new uh, setup, new schedule for our shows here, and we're bringing you the Bengals content live here with Cincy Jungle. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza and John Sheeran in a little bit of a different. No Randall this week, right now, or at least for tonight. No Randall, John. What's what's going on, my man? How you doing? Yeah, Randall's holding down the fort in Hyde Park. I'm a little bit north of that in Westchester. I'm in my 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 parents' house. I'm actually in my dad's office right now. And uh, yeah, we're we're just chilling. That's awesome. Uh, I you know we've got a big week ahead. Hopefully, people have kind of caught up with all the things we did a pro, uh, post game kind of reaction show. We did the aftermath on Monday night, and now here we are talking about. The Bengals taking on the Browns. And oh, the irony with this one, John, just because, you know, the Bengals, the last two teams they faced, they're on, they, you know, they were this big revenge tour about getting back at the Bengals for what happened in the postseason and everything. And Bengals take care of business against those two tough teams. And then the Browns, who are a little bit down this year and haven't been the pinnacle of NFL success, I guess, really since Paul Brown was there. Um, now the Bengals just can't seem to find a way to beat that team. And here they are now, um, I don't know, trying to figure things out here against the Browns as they head to Paycor Stadium. If we're going to do transitive properties, does this mean that the Browns are better than both the Bengals and the Chiefs? Like, is, is that how the, <laughs> the, the, I, I, if then, if then. Yeah, right. I, I mean, <laughs> we've talked about ad nauseum, right? This is a matchup that has not given the Bengals any favors in recent years, even with, a perceived, well, not a perceived, an advantage of quarterback. It's just so it happens that quarterbacks in the Browns system tend to pop off against a lunar remote defense that seems to have figured out 30 other quarterbacks. It is one of the more fascinating anomalies in the NFL, and we get to see the latest edition now. We're going to see the latest edition, that is correct. And what we will do, that is one of the talking points that we're going to talk about tonight in that 
you know, the Bengals need to change things up um, against the Browns. There's no doubt about it in terms of what they have done and or not done against the Browns. And so now the Bengals need to find out what what's going to be working best for them in terms of an offensive game plan, in terms of, you know, uh, defensive game plans and everything. So we'll talk a little bit about that and, and see what we think the Bengals should be doing this week in that regard, as well as predictions and keys to the win, all that good stuff. We'll get to all of it. Uh, as always, we are live on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, as well as our own YouTube channel. We're streaming live on a number of Twitter accounts. And if you can't get the live show, you gotta you can like and subscribe our YouTube channel. You can also like the Facebook page. But if you like the audio side of things, you can get our show. It's the, the episode, if you can't join us live, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major platforms, our show and those on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel are there. So where to start, John? I think uh, we should probably catch up on some headlines where where everybody's at in terms of health, where the team is at in terms of health. So we'll pull up the injury report as of Thursday evening before we get set for Thursday night football here in just a little bit. Um, did you write up? I, I got to pull this up here. Did you write up the injury report on Cincy Jungle? I think you sometimes do that. You usually do that. Uh, was that you this week? That yes. that was me uh, today. I wasn't actually supposed to do it. So shout out to Drew Garrison, who was supposed to do it. And I just kind of blindly took over. But sorry about that, Drew. But I did do the injury <laughs> report today. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we had a couple of concerning issues right now because both Sam Hubbard and T. Higgins list, were listed as questionable for Thursday's practice. I believe Higgins was listed with a hamstring and Hubbard was listed with a calf. Obviously not good to have both those guys not practicing in any capacity. And we talked about this before, right? Like When a player practices earlier in the week and then is all of a sudden listed as limited, it can mean one of two things. Most likely, it's just a minor issue that they didn't want uh, him to push through just for the sake of resting him and not making it worse. And the worst case scenario is something happened to him mid-practice. He couldn't finish the whole thing. And now it's a cause for concern for the rest of the week. But with no media availability after, like after practice or in the second half of practice, we have little to no information on what the extent of those injuries are. And I'm sure by the time that people listen to this later in the week, we'll, we will have some clarity on those injuries right now. But those seem to be the two biggest injuries right now on the Bengals injury report. Hayden Hurst, still not practicing. It's his legs in a walking boot. He's not going to play this week. Everyone else in the Bengals, though, seems to be pretty healthy. Yeah, Leo Collins getting that usual rest that he has been receiving. Same with DJ Reader and Vaughn Bell. Jesse Bates on the injury report as well. So you got, uh, you know, Bell not practicing as of Thursday. Bates on the injury report. Joe Mixon and John looking like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Mixon looking like he is going to get set to play for the first time since that big, big, well, I guess since the Steelers, uh, he, he made it through about halfway that game, of that game, um, but really kind of full, potential full go since that huge, huge game against the Panthers. Uh, looking like he's going to go. How are you feeling about him potentially returning to the lineup? So I think it was interesting hearing Zach Taylor talk about him, um, about him not playing last weekend when he probably would have been cleared from the concussion protocol. But I think in Taylor's own words, he said, I didn't go back to the doctor. I told him, yeah, you're you're not playing this week. We're just going to go with uh, Samaje. And I think Mixon was asked about that today. And he was like, you know, like I just kind of live with it. Like he didn't necessarily 
like he just supported the decision, but it didn't sound like obviously everyone wants to play when they're able to play. And I think if it, that was like a do or die situation when they didn't really have any other options at running back, then Mixon probably would have played. But I think that just um, expressed a lot of confidence in P. Ryan just taking the reins as he did against the Chiefs. He had 155 total yards from scrimmage there. So Mixon would have been able to play last week, but Taylor just didn't want to risk it or was just comfortable with the stable of running backs that they had. But yeah, he's full go for this week for sure. He will go this week. And, you know, to kind of tack onto that, what else Taylor said with that was something to the effect of, you know, I I don't remember exactly which media member it was that had asked him, you know, what's the role going to be if and when he comes back. And he's, you know, basically he was like, you know, last time we saw him, he had a five touchdown game essentially. And so, you know, he's not, Basically, it sounds like for those wondering if there's going to be some sort of, you know, P. Ryan taking the job away or what have you from Mixon, it sounds like that's not really what Taylor's thinking is. Um, but it also sounds like P. Ryan's still going to be part of the game plan. And if not, maybe even more so than he was when Mixon was in there. Still, it seems like it's, you know, Mixon's going to get the lion's share of carries. We kind of predicted that. And Taylor more or less kind of said that. Uh, I believe it was today when to, when asked about mixing. And I think Brian Callahan was asked about it too. And he usually gives more, I'll, I'll say candid answers. He he equated the situation to being like, well, Trent Irwin took over for Jamar Chase, but no one's talking about replacing uh, Jamar Chase with Trent Irwin. And obviously right. the gap between those two players is not the same as the gap between Mixon and Pirine because Mixon has had legitimate issues this year, whereas Pirine just kind of has made the best of the blocking available to him. And it's also just the difference in nature of the positions, right? It's good to have two running backs that you can lean on throughout the game. There's obviously this whole discussion about, you know, Mixon being on the field for longer. It allows him to get into rhythm, yada, yada, yada. And then there's a difference between him and Pirine in that regard. So it's not apples. It's definitely apples and oranges. We're just talking about uh, Jamar Chase, Trent Irwin, and then Joe Mixon, Samaji Pirine. But Obviously, Pierre had a role before Mixon got hurt. He was doing well in that role. It remains to be seen how much that role is going to be expanded now that Mixon's back. But obviously, they want to stand up for their guy, Joe, who just had five touchdowns in his last game. Right? They're not going to do anything but praise him for his ability, for sure. Right. And on the Browns side of things, um, it looked like uh, Joku was back for the first time in a couple of weeks in terms of practicing he was limited the last two days so we'll have to see what's going on there uh cooper again the the non-injury related same with miles garrett kind of getting that veteran rest uh the other aj green did not practice wednesday went limited thursday cornerback there uh hudson uh was out with an illness that seems to be kind of making the rounds in the league as well right now some people think that joe burrow was maybe fighting off a cold i think mike petralia noted that in the tweet um but still obviously cold and flu season right now so a lot of that stuff's going around denzel ward also uh has an ankle injury and the illness um so you could see that pharaoh brown illness as well <laughs> so they got a couple of couple of sickies there um and then conklin getting that veteran rest there but the big news um is is of course and Joku, who's a weapon when he's out there, has missed some time recently with the knee injury, uh, but is has gone limited this week. Yeah, I think he was. I think he got injured right before the Bengals' first game against the Browns back in week. Right. So yeah, I think it was the game before. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so this has been about a month in the making for his comeback. I thought it was interesting. Obviously, Denzel Ward didn't play in that game either, and now he's limited coming back from an ankle injury. So yeah, there's a lot of developments with the Browns roster, but just like you said with a. Uh, 
uh, Petraglia calling uh, Joe Burrow potentially sick. He was like the only person who did that. I think that was very bold of him because that get that that gets attached to him. He may incite panic or whatever. But shout out to Mike for <laughs> thing to do. Yeah, I mean that that's uh, if if I'm not saying he is, but if for some reason he was wrong about that, that's uh, that's something that you know, starts to make the rounds a little bit and, uh, you know, we'll see, but obviously he's a very reputable source and, uh, a great guy. So we tend to believe him, tend to believe him when he says that, uh, Joe Burrow may or may not have a, a cold there, but we'll see, uh, what happens there. Okay. So we're getting, we're getting into the Bengals facing the Browns, obviously. And this one's at home. We'll talk about potential game plans and whatnot in a minute. Um, I'm going over the, headlines here in just a second just to see if there's anything else here that we need to get to um you know you had you did the rookie report on volson and whatnot uh anything else that we need to to go through headline wise story wise before we kind of start deep diving into things here well i don't think it was official when we last recorded on monday but kevin heber is officially back on the practice squad as the second punter so basically he and drew chrisman Traded spots, and I think we're both in agreement that that was the right way to go. Like, it's nice that Huber gets to potentially finish out his final year with the Bengals, officially still a part of the team. He's still with the team practicing, has this jersey, whatnot. And in case, God forbid, something does happen to Christmas, they have a guy that they can rely on, at least, you know, is comfortable and knows the team. There's obviously been questions about Huber's performance, but I think it stands to reason that if he were to get another opportunity, knowing that this is probably his last run, I think he would give everything in his power to be better than what he was early on in the season. So hopefully it doesn't come to that because that means that Crispin wouldn't be able to, to play and something would happen to him, but good for uh, Huber and the Bengals to kind of end this run that he has on the right foot. That's uh, on the, on the left foot, right? On the, not the right foot, go. the left foot. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, and it's a smart move, obviously given all the things that the Bengals have gone through with the special teams unit week one, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just the right move. And obviously a classy one for a guy, homegrown kid and a guy who's done a lot of great things for the Bengals as their punter for a long time. So makes a lot of sense from a contingency st- uh, standpoint, contingency plan standpoint, as well as, you know, just the move itself from, you know, elevating Chrisman and, and making that switch as tough as that probably was for a guy like Darren Simmons. It's just the right move at this point. I mean, it's, it's already paying off a bit, uh, you know, in terms of net punting and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, uh, that that's good to bring that to, to everyone's attention too. Um, all right. Well, let's, before we kind of get into things, I, I, I don't know that I've ever really asked you this. Um, and I, I guess this is just kind of like my, I just want to know your feelings on this being a guy who lives in Cincinnati, the battle of Ohio. Like what, what does this mean to you as a guy who covers the Bengals as a guy who's been a fan of the Bengals and lives in the area, this battle of Ohio. I mean, is it to you, is that blown up a, a little bit more than, you know, what, what the title says it is and all of that, or is this something that, kind of is a special thing for you or has it kind of been doled out a little bit with things going on the rivalry with the Steelers and all that kind of stuff I don't know um obviously we know where things are at with this rivalry between these two teams recently in that Zach Taylor is what one in six against them uh since joining the Bengals but I don't know I I don't think I've ever asked you this uh for all the years we've worked together here you're just kind of your as a local guy your thoughts on this battle of Ohio your feelings on the Browns team all of that so the last couple of weeks, we've talked about rivalries like Bengals-Titans, Bengals-Chiefs. And my whole thing with rivalries is that 
in order for it to be a rivalry, it has to be not only like historically close, sure, that helps, but at least in recent history, it has to be closely contested. And growing up, that was always the case with the Bengals and Browns, more so than it was with the Bengals Steelers, Bengals Ravens. There was, I think, more animosity, obviously, with the Steelers. Maybe the Ravens has gotten to that point. Um, but at least from when I was alive, like the Bengals and Browns, they always played these very interesting games. Most of the time it was close because even if the Bengals were objectively better in some areas, like the, in the Browns were at the bottom of the NFL, they always played each other pretty close and it, all, it was always very entertaining. And it wasn't always the case with the other AFC North team. So to me, the Browns have always been like the Bengals, like true rivalry. And obviously there's history with that, with Mike, Mike and Paul Brown and just that entire family too. So that, that obviously adds to just the overall, like, I don't know, essence of the rivalry in itself. So to me, like, yeah, it's, I think it's the Bengals' true rival from a historical sense. And now the Browns have truly evened the scales with how they've done in the past couple of years. And I think it's really evened out the the recent records between these two teams in this matchup. So I, I think it's good that the Browns have become competitive, like truly competitive in this rivalry. But like, at least for me growing up, there were a lot of like very memorable and kind of wacky games between these two teams when they were just fighting. <laughs> last in the yeah. yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So on that, on that, in that vein, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'm older than you. So I do remember some of the ones from the late eighties and whatnot, the boomer Bernie Kozar and a little bit of Marty and other, you know, other coaches there um, that were with the Browns and Kevin Mack and, and those, and that, that's kind of the old AFC central was a really kind of, that's when these rivalries were really at its peak. Maybe not so much the Steelers and the Bengals, but definitely the Oilers and the Bengals and the um, the Browns and the Bengals, obviously, those were big, big rivalries for this, uh, you know, for this team. And, and, you know, obviously the Oilers now don't even really exist anymore. And so then you've got the Browns and the Browns. I don't know. To me, it just hasn't been the same so much since the Browns left and came back and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think it's been watered down a lot and, and so much being made with the Steelers rivalry and whatnot. But obviously, this is still a very special thing. There's a lot of history between these two teams. And if you were to ask probably anyone in the Brown family, especially Mike Brown, uh, this is the one that he circles annually on the, on the schedule. Most definitely, this is the one that he eyes the most and it's like, hey, this is <laughs> this is these are the ones I want the most. And that's that's kind of what's ironic about this whole thing. He's got to be pleased where the Bengals were last year and how far they got. He's got to be pleased with how they're looking this year. But the fact that Zach Taylor and company cannot beat this team has to just eat them up 
because of how much this this rivalry means to him, how much it meant, the whole thing meant to his father. So, um, yeah, here we go. Uh, Obligatory from Kimberly here. You don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. I can't believe we didn't start the show off with that. Um, Thank you, Kimberly. Um, But at any rate, you're, as we kind of get into, you know, maybe best game plan options, keys, predictions, all that kind of stuff. What, what did you make of, of Watson's performance last, last week? Um, and, you know, I, I was asked a question on the five questions with the enemy that were in the, that'll go up, I think probably tomorrow on the, on the site on Cincy jungle um, with Chris Picorni of dogs by nature, uh, the SB nation Brown site. And we had a good back and forth there. And he kind of, I asked him like point blank, like, how did Watson look? And he was like, you know, he was very kind of down on it and he still thinks Watson's going to take a while. I mean, I, I think he was down on it just from, Hey, it was his first game back. I mean, it's just going to, it's going to be tough. It's expected, but he almost made it sound like he thinks or is expecting this transition for Watson to take a lot longer than a week, two weeks. And just, he's going to get back to that pro bowl form. Um, I don't know. You're, you're kind of just, as we ramp up with things, your thoughts on the Browns this year, they're, they're five and seven right? A little disappointing from their end. And then of course you've got the Watson deal going on and he played last week. Not all that great though. He got a win against his former team. So I think it's weird looking at the Browns this year because from a macro view, like their offense has been pretty efficient. I think they're they're still in the top half of the league in terms of DVOA, like running the ball, at least in the beginning of the season was a definite strength of theirs. And Jacoby Brissett, I think proved a lot of people, wrong about him and how he can probably still start in a good situation in this league but of course in the the you know the situations that matter uh in most of these games like they just didn't finish that's why their their record is reflected as it is so they, they've been an interesting case study for me personally and obviously they looked like a completely different team against the Bengals in week eight compared to the weeks before that and now the weeks that have followed because they haven't been nearly as good uh since they played on Halloween but Simply put, like Watson was just dreadful against the Texans, and there's definite rust involved in that. Like he didn't play in nearly two years, and you know, even if he did practice a couple of weeks beforehand since he was reinstated or whatever, like it, it just wasn't enough for him to get up to speed. And that's just kind of where they at, where they were at. And maybe us as people who follow the Bengals, we didn't take the recovery time for Burrow enough seriously enough because he didn't start practicing fully until right before the season began. Then he had a bad game right out of the gate against the Steelers, and he didn't quite look himself against the Cowboys. So obviously the situations are different. Watson has been completely healthy this entire time, but he hasn't been able to practice with the team. He hasn't been able to to build that chemistry and that timing with his receivers. So everything's out of whack. But he himself, like as an individual, looked dreadful. He was missing throws that I don't think he's ever missed. And he shouldn't be missing, even if he isn't practicing with the team. Like he should still be doing his own work on the side, whatever he can to stay fresh and ready for whenever he was able to get out there. And then when he was out there against an objection, objectively a bad defense, he was terrible. So I, there shouldn't be a ton of optimism if, if you're looking at this from a Browns perspective of him coming back as quickly as possible, unless the Bengals just give him a free win. So that's that begs the question here of how the Bengals should approach things on offense and approach things on defense. We'll start with defense first since we're talking about Watson. And this was – I was asked this question – by Chris Picorni of Dogs by Nature. And I didn't know, I, I feel like I, I preferred one type of approach on defense over the other. 
based on recent history and how the Browns have been able to win against the Bengals and kind of the sheer imposing of the will. But really, there's I think there's an interesting argument to be had here. And so there's the one element of defense where the Bengals can employ the type of defense that they employed against Patrick Mahomes, wherein they drop a lot of guys in coverage, they play some zone, and they just kind of cover the field to not allow a talented quarterback to, to find a lot of openings, so to speak. And, you know, with that, you kind of play a little bit more contain on the defensive line because you have a guy that can do some things with his legs in Mahomes and in Watson. And you, you kind of go that, and then you die by the run. Should the Browns go that route and, or, you know, you, you hope you can get a little more pressure even with this contained defense than you did last week. And, and, you know, so these routes don't develop and Watson still finds openings, that sort of thing. Okay. Then there's the, the whole sellout on the run um, and, and force Deshaun Watson to, and his two years off of football to beat you with one week, one game, one week of practice and on a new team, all of that going against it. As we sit here right now, I'm inclined to go for the latter because of what Nick Chubb has done against the Bengals, because of what Kareem Hunt has done against the Bengals and that offensive line, how they've performed against the performed against the Bengals. And this time around, John, the Bengals have DJ reader back Josh Tupo back to help out in the run game. So I, I think they've got a better shot at being a, a bit more successful that way and gambling with, Hey, the rusty quarterback still may need a few weeks here. Um, but I, I think there's wisdom in either. And there's an argument to be made in either approach given who the quarterback is and who they're playing. Yeah, I think when the more Watson's under pressure, the more you kind of speed things up for him and the less that he can get comfortable. It should surprise no one that the majority of his bad plays against the Texans were when he was under pressure. And it didn't even involve when the Texans were blitzing. Like when he wasn't blitzed, he was 8 for 15 for 84 yards and an interception. And that included one of those passes when he was under pressure and threw just a terrible pass in the red zone, in the end zone. And it was to no one except like two Texans players, and they picked it off. Uh, the thing that the Browns don't have going for them right now, they have a backup center in Hajalti Froyholt, who was a good player coming yeah. out of college. He and, was, yeah, yeah. But he has not been very good in Ethan Pokett's um, stead. And even Pokett was playing for, uh, I forget, the, the Browns have been through three centers now, and the third one is not playing at a very high level. And Wyatt Teller, the right guard, who dominated last year as a run blocker, he was recovering from injury recently. He's still not 100%. So there are liabilities in the middle of the Browns' offensive line right now, and I think it would do the Bengals well to have some zone blitzes up their sleeve, to maybe have some double mug pressure looks in those A-gaps and really force and stress the interior of the Browns' offensive line and get some pressure up the middle. And obviously, pressure up the middle is the quarterback's worst nightmare. Force Watson to make decisions on the run. Maybe maybe I might, I might be overthinking this a little bit because I think if you get Watson out of the pocket, maybe he can make some plays on the run and that can get him more comfortable. But I, I think right now he is not really a trustworthy guy when his clock speeds up and he ends up making bad decisions. So I, I don't think it's it, – I'm not saying just cover zero bliss in the entire time. I, I do think that – Inarumo is very good at picking his spots of when to deploy some of these pressures, but the Bengals have a lot of experience with showing blitz, dropping back eight, or maybe just having these delayed blitzes up the middle too. So there's definitely exploitable parts of a usually good Browns offensive line that they can pick apart. That's so again, you know, if, if you're, if we're going to talk about selling out on, on the run and whatnot, that's uh, the Bengals have a number of uh, players as I mentioned, back uh, on defense. Uh, I mean, do you think 
how big of a how big of a difference do you think that makes? Because Nick Chubb just eats them up, uh, but Nick Chubb has eaten them up um, with those guys in the lineup before. So I mean, obviously it's a bit it's a boost from what we saw uh, and who was out there on Halloween. But I mean, do you think this is a complete game changer to have both Reader and Tupo back, despite you know? what the Browns have done, or do you think it's just like, Hey, that's, that's a nice added bonus. Chubb's still going to probably get some form of his, even with the, the, the cupboard fully stocked. Yeah. I, well, it's not just Chubb. It's, it's again, the offensive line. And I think Joel Bitonio is still playing at a good level, but as a, as a unit right now, they're just not very good. And that was an underrated storyline of the past game that the Bengals played. Like DJ Reader and Josh Tubo early on in that game, they were getting blown off the line because the Chiefs' interior, despite not having Joe Tooney, Kareem Humphrey and Trey Smith were blowing guys off of the line and giving Isaiah Pacheco and Jerick McKinnon a lot of space. And the Chiefs ended up having a successful first half running the football. And it would have been no different had like the Browns been playing that day and all those guys were healthy. Like They just didn't come to play to defend the run. So it's going to take DJ Reader and Josh Tupo playing a little bit better, but it seems like they're going to have more favorable matchups this week just because of what Taylor is dealing with. The fact that they have a third-string center in there, Joel Bitonio can only do so much. We, we've seen, at least in past years of the Bengals, it takes more than just one decent offensive lineman to really culminate a good blocking unit up front. And if DJ Reader plays like DJ Reader usually does against the run, it's going to make Nick Chubb's life a lot harder, especially if, if the Bengals are going to force Watson to beat him by just stacking the box and playing man outside. Like I feel like at this point, you can trust Cam Taylor Britt to go man to man with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Eli Apple might have some struggles against Amari Cooper, but is that a risk that you're willing to take just to let this quarterback who has not been able to do anything for the past two years beat you? That might just be the case. Yeah, and not just because he's got a, a three name, a hyphenated name, Peoples Jones. I mean, hopefully he doesn't do the Valdez Scantling uh, thing where the jump balls come down. Peoples Jones has had a, a number of big plays against the Bengals here as a as an ancillary weapon for the Browns, despite who's been their quarterback. So that's definitely a guy to watch. I'm going to share this as we transition to the offense. Our buddy Joe Goodberry uh, shared this on Twitter here, talking about the uh, – PFF grades and whatnot uh, for the offensive line. And so this is where I think, um, you know, granted, I, I think this Browns game is in this window here uh, in terms of these six games where you've seen improvement. But I think specifically, John, the guy I want to point out, not only because he goes up against Miles Garrett occasionally in, in these contests is Jonah Williams, who has been playing better, seemingly I would assume got that knee a bit healthier with that bye week uh, after he injured it against the Ravens way back. Pretty gruesome injury by the sounds of that. So it sounds like he maybe is getting a little bit healthier and he and the offensive line are playing, uh, especially in the pass block grade. If you look at that, I mean, that's that's 14 points for almost 14 full points in terms of PFF grade uh, by the offensive line there. And I think Jonah Williams has been a big part of that. Going forward, Joe Burrow getting, taking far less sacks, far less hits, all of that. And that is something that where the arrow is pointing nicely for the Bengals going into this one facing Miles Garrett. I mean, if there's ever like a measuring stick for an offensive lineman, it's this game. Because looking at the Browns defensive line since that game, it's been all Miles Garrett. Like legitimately any other pass rusher the Browns have had has been – under 60 in terms of a PFF pass rushing grade. Miles Garrett's at 90.2. So he's got 11 of their 25 pressures since week nine. 
Like it, it's it's been a one man show, and unfortunately for the Bengals, that's all that the Browns have needed. They just needed Miles Garrett to disrupt a handful of plays, and it's just those crucial drives that the Browns just need to get ahead of the game. But it's going to be all on number ninety five for the Browns to get into the backfield because Jordan Elliott, Jadavian Clowney, Taven Bryan, who I believe played well against the Texans, Alex Wright, Perrion Winfrey, these guys have just not been getting it done, or at least not in a consistent basis for the Browns' defensive line. And Miles Garrett is phenomenal. He's probably the best edge rusher in the NFL. But if, if it's just him getting home against the Bengals, I have to believe that aside from a couple of plays that Garrett will probably get in there, the Bengals should be okay protecting Burrow. Ian Ryder there of local great rock band, Holy Coast band. Um, just can't leave John on an island. The boy got his confidence back. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's definitely something to think about. And here's here's where I wonder, John, in terms of offensive game plan as well. Uh, I see a couple – Kimberly Smith again says uh, Will Cox will block. So Will Cox is going to be in there, obviously, a lot because of Hurst being in that boot, like you mentioned earlier. And he's going to kind of be the top guy there. He is more of a blocking tight end, I, I think, than Hurst is. Um, by I don't think he's a Reggie Kelly by any stretch of the imagination in, in that regard. But, I mean, I, I think there – I'm inclined to think that we're going to see a lot of Samaj P. Ryan in this game. Uh, from even not necessarily maybe touches, but from a pass blocking perspective to help out in that regard. And then Wilcox as well, giving some assistance with, with miles Garrett, maybe even some of those uh, tackle eligible plays to, you know, uh, negate some things. Those are a couple of, I think things that we'll see somewhat frequently players and or formations that we may see frequently this week, because they got to figure out a way to take miles Garrett as much out of the equation as possible. And that's also just a pressure key for the Browns, as unfortunate as it is. Like when Pirine is out there, like you don't know if it's going to be a runner pass because they trust uh, him to pass block, but he's also been mm-hmm. reliable as a runner. But he's like when both Mixon and Pirine are healthy, Mixon just isn't out there from pass protection. And if he is not out there on pass plays, he's out there as a receiver. So that's a key to Miles Garrett or anyone else here to kind of tip off what the play is going to be. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Bengals kind of manage that. And, and you're right, like Pirine should get a healthy dose just to keep the Browns on their toes and not give Miles Garrett any advantage. Any time that you can give him like a head start, if he's going to, you know, guess or not not guess, he, he, he studies film, he watches these tendencies, and he has quality control coaches to tell him, you know, what to key in on. Any advantage that you give him is just making a great player even better. We must have someone that's new here, Justin, for the love of God, Benger Hatfield. Justin. No, I'm not going to do it. You won't get the show. No, that's not happening. Anyway, continuing on. Uh, I, I mean, in is there a way or a scenario that you see, aside from, I mean, I say it tongue in cheek, and I don't mean to laugh about it, but I mean, aside from an injury, I mean, is there a way? That the the best way that you think the Bengals can can negate a Miles Garrett impact game because he uh, basically, quite honestly, John, it's him and it's Chubb that win these games. Uh, I mean, a little bit of Kareem Hunt there as well, but those two guys have won the games for the Browns in this one and six streak. Baker played out of his mind a couple of times, but it's because they were able to run the ball and he was able to do so much off of play action. So, I mean, is it? I guess what I'm asking is if we're saying P Ryan and Wilcox and maybe, you know, ex- tackle eligible, et cetera, is that enough? I mean, is that going to be enough to, to at least contain or 
limit the impact of Miles Garrett, or is it just going to be, oh man, it's going to be a rough one, regardless of Jonah playing better and and you know these other possibilities on offense. This is the issue, man, being in the AFC North because you have to face Miles Garrett and TJ Watt four times a year. We talked ad nauseum about how to minimize TJ Watt. Even if he doesn't get home as a pass rusher, he reads passing lanes and he gets his hands up and he makes these interceptions that no one else can do. The Bengals held Miles Garrett in check throughout that first opening drive back on Halloween. And what does Miles Garrett do? He reads Joe Burrow's eyes and gets his hands up and forces an interception. Even yep. when these guys don't win as pass rushers, like they are they are just different compared to any other edges. Like they have the sharpest minds in the game, along with these freakish athletic abilities, there's just no containing them for 60 minutes. I know the Bengals were able to do that to TJ Watt last year in, in Paycor Stadium, but it's it's just impossible. It's next to impossible to do that with Miles Garrett, unless you have a Larry Tunsil type tackle. And I believe Garrett played okay, not great against Tunsil because that's the quality, that's the benefit of having that top tier left tackle. Jonah Williams, unfortunately, isn't that, even though he's good against pretty much 90% of the other competition that he faces, he's going to be overmatched at times in this game. And it's just up to the Bengals to maybe, I don't know, not throw right over his head and throw <laughs> the clock a little bit. Make sure to roll up to the right instead of the left sometimes. Well, uh, I mean, that's these are some of the things we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. Before you said that, I was like, well, maybe you just don't throw the the shallow crossers where you have to throw the ball right in front of Miles yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe you just kind of just stay away, stay away from that side. Uh, well, let's let's transition here into uh, into keys and predictions, key players and whatnot, and then we'll start getting on out of here so that folks can get into their Thursday night football watching experience. So here we go, John. Um, I mean, I think we can say because of Hurst in all likelihood is not going to be playing this week that Wilcox is a guy that's going to be under the spotlight. Obviously, we'll be looking at the running backs because we've mentioned them as well. Who else do you think is is absolutely paramount for the Bengals in this matchup against the Browns this time around? Good question. I think Jermaine Pratt's just on a heater right now, and it's fair to assume that he's going to continue playing at a high level. You need good linebackers to go, to go up against Nick Chubb in this offense, mainly because Nick Chubb just ends up finding himself in the second level. Pratt had been dealing previously uh, this season with a couple of missed tackles, and I, I specifically highlighted this before he played the Steelers because Najee Harris was doing pretty well absorbing tackles and breaking them off. And ever since then, Pratt has been a lot better in that regard. He's just a better overall all-around player in general. So he and Logan Wilson just need great games, obviously. And on, on the offensive on the offensive side of the ball, um, I, I think Jamar Chase going up against uh, Denzel Ward for the first time since last year. I think there's definitely some... I don't want to say animosity, but there's there's some resentment for Chase. Like he was asked about not being able to beat the Browns. Is I don't know. Like Chase is about as open minded as you can get for any of these guys on the roster, and I think he he's got something to prove against these cornerbacks. Like pretty much held him in check for the most part last season. Well, I mean, I, I one guy I think that I'm I'm also I, I'm interested in, in Tupo being back for this game. I know he's kind of the reserve guy, but I think they're going to lean on him quite a bit in a lot of different respects to help with the run game. Um, I'm interested in Joseph Osai, given that Sam Hubbard is on the injury report there. So, um, you know, I I know he kind of spells Hendrickson because Hubbard plays more snaps um, than than Hendrickson does in a game-by-game basis. But um, I think... You know, that's something that uh, he had the sack last week, but it was kind of 
an over pursuit. We talked about it on Monday. It was like the over pursuit. And then he relied on the athleticism to kind of recover. So that's a guy I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what, what his role and what he could do this week. Um, I, I am interested though, because it seems like Higgins makes a lot of plays against the Browns. And I know part of that was last game because Jamar chase was out, but I am interested to see how these Bengals corners will do against the uh, Bengals receivers will do against the Browns corners, Browns secondary. There's a lot of talent in the Browns secondary, obviously a lot of talent by the Bengals wideouts. You know, Boyd had a couple of nice catches last week, but the big, big drop, I'm curious to see how he rebounds. So I'm kind of looking at the pass catching group um, this week. You know, you've got Ward potentially back and, and others that kind of, you know, corners that have given the Bengals some fits over the years. So, um, you know, I think, I I think that's kind of some of the matchup areas I'm, I'm watching because if the Bengals do manage to kind of keep miles Garrett at bay, they're going to need to pop some big plays here and, and continue this momentum that they've been doing, continue this great passing attack they've had for the last basically month going on here. You know, People have talked about, like, oh, of course, to beat the Browns, you just got to be able to get ahead of them and not let them, you know, control the game. And I think the Bengals will run more than 10 run plays like they did back on Halloween in this one. But I wouldn't be surprised if they came out throwing the ball because that's the strength of their offense. Even if they are much significantly better running the ball, like when they have all three of their receivers out there, like it's really tough for any secondary, let alone a bad secondary in Cleveland, to be able to stop them. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of kept to similar game scripts their opening strips as they've done against some of these other teams. Like, yeah, of course they'll give the ball to Mixon in his first game back, but of course, like when you have Higgins chase and Boyd a part of the game plan, like you're not going to not feature those guys. And when you mentioned Osai, and I want to make a quick apology to him because while we talked about him, but doing something that wasn't advisable, there have been, that, that was probably miss um, analysts on, on my part analysis on my part, because I've seen both Nate Tice and Dave Lapham, who am I to tell Dave Lapham he's wrong that Osai had a two-way go on, on that play because B.J. Hill and Sam Hubbard were doing contain to the outside. Osai had the option to go inside or outside of the left tackle there. So my apologies to Joseph Osai. I did not mean to disparage you and your lack of discipline on that play. You made a great play, <laughs> and it was the right play. So my apologies. Well, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll eat some crow on that one then too uh, because, you know, I – it just it looked when you watched the play, it looked like an over pursuit, and obviously Mahomes did what he was supposed to do and step up beyond that, and, and you know kind of try and make a play as he often does. Regardless, I mean it was still a great recovery after not getting him in the in the first uh, the first part of that. But uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yes, we will. If we are wrong about that, we will most definitely ap- apologize to Joseph Osai. Um, so. What uh, we talked about potential game plans. We talked about key players, key matchups to watch. John, give us your assessment of what you think happens here with the Bengals hosting the Browns. Deshaun Watson getting his first look against Cincinnati as a Browns quarterback. What do you think happens? You know, so much has been made about Chubb. So much has been made about Garrett. Rightfully so. They are elite players of their positions. They typically have great games against the Bengals. What continues to be under put under the radar is that the quarterbacks for the Browns have always had great games against the Bengals ever since uh, the years 2020, even 2019. I guess, no, no, not, not really. Ever since 2020, Browns quarterbacks have done well. They've had great games against the Bengals. This is the current iteration of Deshaun Watson is the worst Browns quarterback that has played the Bengals since 2020. There is little to no excuse for the Bengals defense to give up even a decent game 
against this version of Deshaun Watson. I just don't see him recovering to form, returning to form in such short notice, even though there is this, there's this weird just aura that's surrounding this game right now because the Browns always beat the Bengals. The Bengals just can't seem to find a way to get the advantage. I think that major disadvantage at quarterback is going to be too much for the Browns to overcome, despite other advantages that they have on their roster compared to some areas for the Bengals. So I just, I just don't see them doing enough, them getting out ahead early. I, I think the Bengals are going to prioritize not making those early game mistakes that they made in the past. I, I don't think Joe Burrow is going to throw another red zone interception in this game. So I think the Bengals are going to key, key in on the right things and just have the most important advantage in the game. That's the quarterback. So with that being said, I'm going to go Browns 26, Bengals 20. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I'm, pull, I'm pulling this up here because quietly uh, this is a pretty big game for the Bengals. A lot of people think, Hey, you know, I mean, they want, everybody wants the Bengals to win. They think they should win or whatever. But, you know, I think in the back of people's minds, they're, they're saying, well, you know, they given the two last two wins they had, uh, they've had, you know, if there's a slip here, then it might be okay because they've, you know, they, they grabbed a couple wins that not a lot of people thought they would get, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's the deal, John. Obviously, they're tied with the Ravens there, and the Ravens are having some issues at quarterback because of injuries to Lamar Jackson. So that in itself seems like an opportune time for the Bengals to continue to gain ground and get a hold of this division. And then if you look behind them, five and seven, five and seven, the Browns and the Steelers, though they're they're three games back, really two and a half or whatever um, from the Bengals here and, and the Ravens. I mean, a, a win there. I mean, they're kind of just still hanging around a little bit. Uh, and then when you when you go to this game here again, while the Bengals got the two big conference wins against the the Titans and the Chiefs here the last couple of weeks, they are still only one win in the division so far. They need to start collecting these division wins. So this is quietly kind of a, a little bit of a, a a little bit of a an important game that not a lot of people are kind of saying. You know, this is this is when they really kind of need to get. So when you look at the divisional standings there, there's an opportune time here should the Bengals win to get a good grasp on the division and obviously get a division win in which they only have one so far. I think the Bengals do win. Um, I think that quite honestly, I don't, I don't really have a great piece of analysis other than I just think they're due. I think they're due and I think they're playing well. And I think they're catching the Browns at an odd time, even though they won last week, I think they're catching the Browns at an odd time with the transition at quarterback and everything else going on there. So, you know, I, I just kind of feel like, timing of it is is working out well for the Bengals and just that they're due. So I think it's going to be pretty ugly. I don't think it's going to be exciting. I don't think it's going to be high scoring or anything like that. I'll say something like uh, 23 to 17, the Bengals win. And I think that would put them at covering as well. I think they aren't they or maybe pushing the line. I think they're at six right now, right? I've seen six and a half. I've seen five and a half. So let's, let's call yeah. it six. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they'd be pushing the line there. So that's what I think here. I hope. I I just I don't know if I can stomach another loss to the Browns again, man. It's just the Bengals haven't beaten them since the end of 2019. It, that's how long it's been since they have beaten them with Zach Taylor in this in this group. So, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's Brissett or Baker Mayfield or whoever. They just haven't found the formula to get them. So hopefully this is the week they do it. Let's drop the mic and get on out of here, my friend. Uh, 
What do, what do you got for us? Uh, not, not much of anything. Um, happy that Brittany Griner is back or coming back to U.S. soil. That was a great thing that we saw today. Other than that, man, I hope Watson has some earplugs because <laughs> he's going to hear it. That stadium is going to be loud as hell. Yeah. Just be ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's going to hear it. That is that is definitely true. Uh, I just kind of have sort of announcements for the show. Um, I, we uh, were scheduled with Mike Golick tomorrow. We're going to push that back a little bit. He ended up not being available tomorrow, but I think we're looking at next week. So still excited. He's We're still going to be talking with him. So still working the logistics out with that one. So um, that'll be coming up. And then we do have pretty cool. We can't say pretty much anything about it, but um, just to say we have a pretty cool opportunity that will be coming out. And we think that, our listeners, viewers, and readers will get a big charge out of it, so we're pretty excited about that. You'll want to definitely hang out and uh, check out the material that we'll have for you in the coming days and weeks um, with that and all kinds of other things. We hope that you uh, have enjoyed the differ, different show format. We kind of go a little shorter, or at least try to go a little shorter on the other two shows, kind of split up the content on each and then, of course, bring you the post-game report, listener questions live a couple times a month, uh, a, you know, preview with another uh, someone who covers the other team and all, all that kind of stuff. We try and bring you all kinds of different stuff throughout the week. So hopefully you are enjoying a little bit of a different format, trying to spread things out and give you a lot of stuff throughout the week. Yeah, so also a uh, shout-out to Hude, who sent in a $10 super chat at going directly. Yes, I, I – yeah, well uh, – what was it saying? I got to pull that up. I feel bad that we did not. Uh, I think you said what we're all thinking. You said Watson will play poorly, but the Bengals can't stop Garrett or Chubb. Well, yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the key to the game there, obviously. And then of course I saw Michaela Garfield member. Remember, she's a member of the YouTube channel, so you too can be a member of the YouTube channel. We actually just put out some exclusive member material on the YouTube channel. We'll have more of that. We'll give it a little preview. I've, I've, we've got some other things happening right now, which is pretty cool, So some of which you need to be a member to be able to get. Um, if you're on the YouTube side, you like the video side of things, and we'll keep giving you all kinds of stuff. And Huday, thank you. We are very, very soon going to uh get funnel this money to the pollock family foundation and get it over to them so thank you for that that'll help there john have a great rest of your week my friend we'll catch up hopefully the Bengals take care of business on sunday and we'll be back with all kinds of different stuff next week and at the end of this uh, this weekend as well for you so we'll be back take care my friend see you guys